Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner and Mudgear Battle Alliance pro, Evan Preparis. I got a guest with me online. Before we get to him, though, a quick word from this episode's sponsor. So this episode is brought to you by OCR Buddy. If you haven't started planning your 2022 race calendar, I would check out OCR Buddy. It's an app that's free. You can download it. And basically has a race calendar for a ton of events going on. I know I found several of my events last year that I had never heard of before through OCR Buddy. So, you know, make sure you check them out, especially if you're looking to kind of fill up those gaps in your race calendar. And what's cool about the app is they have a bunch of different menus, right? So you can do, you know, by distance, you can do by state, you can block it off by weekend. There's just like a whole bunch of options. And it really allows you to narrow in which uh, races you want to do based off your area and your interest and you know, they've broken down by Ninja and, you know, just pure OCR and trail runs, et cetera. So check it out. OCR Buddies, the app. I uh, got some articles up on there, including uh, Rugged Mania X review and then a, some other actual product reviews up on their website. And then, of course, they have their uh, award ceremony. By the time this airs, we should know the results from that. So make sure I think it's December 22nd they're, they're showing the results. So if you missed that, head back and head to their page and check it out. All right, let's get to our guest. Joining me, I have Jake Ramsby. Jake, welcome. Hey, how's it going? Good. So if you don't know Jake, he's, uh, he's been heavily involved in the racing scene for the last couple of years. See, he won Toughest Mudder West in 2019. He was cruising. I remember I was doing Relay that, that event, and I remember seeing you zoom by in every lap. And then the, since then, he finished top 10 at World Toughest Mudder 2019. He's been doing a lot of the team races the past year, so... Swept the team race at Toughest, so did four-man, two-man, and four-man at the three Toughest events, and then went into the uh, World's Toughest Mudder as a two-man division, setting a new record, 125 miles. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so new new record that's higher mileage than anyone has ever done at any other um, Toughest event, World's Toughest event uh, for the relay, and they won the division. Jake, welcome again. Yeah, how's it going? Good. So we're going to spend about half the episode talking about Toughest Mudder, World's Toughest Mudder, and then we're going to start talking about his plans for 2022. He's got a crazy wintertime 200-mile race um, called Arrowhead 200 that he's getting ready for. So we're actually going to do uh, talk up to him a bunch now and then uh, talk about some of his expectations, and then we're going to share some of his social media links and stuff like that. So you can follow him at the end of January, early February, as he goes on this crazy uh, trek. And then we'll bring him on after to talk about, you know, things that he found out from doing the event. So let's start off with a little bit about you. So tell me a little bit about your background, you know, what sports you played in high school or if you played anything in college, et cetera. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been involved in so many sports uh, growing up. Uh, I was a... Travel hockey player, so hockey, baseball, soccer, football, wrestling, did a little MMA. I pretty much did a little bit of everything, was never super great at any of it. Uh, during high school, it was a lot of football, and honestly, we kind of sucked. Uh, <laughs> we were a super small school, a super small division, so you know, we were starting freshmen and sophomores on our varsity squad pretty much every single week. Uh, so we got, we got hammered, but I think that kind of led into some of the ultra running stuff because you just get so used to getting beat up that much and losing constantly. You just have to keep on playing, uh, which is kind of like ultra running. You know, you get beat up and you're 50 miles into a 120 mile race and you're like, well, I guess I have to keep on trucking here. Cool. Yeah, that's kind of my sports background. 
So now that you found ultra running, kind of ultra OCR, is do you feel like you're going to be staying here for a while, or are you going to keep hopping around uh, like you've done in the past? Uh, I don't know. I don't really. I don't really have too many plans. I really love OCR stuff. Um, that really got me out of the post high school athletic funk. I didn't play anything in college. I hit my head too many times, so I was like, probably shouldn't play football. Um, so, so yeah uh, yeah so tough mutter kind of brought me out of the you know college laziness and gave me a little bit of direction so i mean i'm in love with that i don't really see myself going away from doing some of the uh, like world's toughest mutter that's that's kind of feels like home to me at this point gotcha but well, are- as far as some of the smaller races i kind of lost interest in doing any of the like you know 10 mile races more speed based stuff and really want to focus on, you know, trying to push this winter ultra um, thing and see what I can make of that and maybe do some adventure racing. I don't know. Cool. Well, so one of the things we like to do on our podcast is ask about lessons learned from other sports. And as someone who has played a plethora of other sports, you know, what lessons can you pull from some of those other sports? And you can, you know, you can mention all of them. You can pick one or two of them, whatever you want and that you've kind of taken and applied to your physical fitness career as you just kind of switched over into obstacle course race? I kind of already mentioned as far as football, I learned how to lose, which is really what uh, ultra running is. You feel like you're winning for 20 miles and your body starts breaking down. You're feeling like you're losing. You just have to keep on pushing forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then eventually you win at the very end. Um, So that kind of is the best representation I have for my football career. I've been surprised at how much like wrestling and MMA has helped, especially through some of the obstacles. So wrestling, MMA, tons of push-ups, pull-ups, stuff like that. And just learning how to, you know, move and control your body can really help with some of the obstacles, just making them a little bit more fluid uh, with those motions. Uh, So that's a, actually, that's a really big benefit. Yeah, you, know, you gain a little bit of efficiency over walls or through some different obstacles, just because you know how to, you know, move and make that a fluid uh, motion. I think that that really helped. Uh, trying to think of, I don't know, maybe hockey helped a little bit. It's more of that lateral component when you're skating on really thick, nasty mud. Um, I guess that kind of maybe helped a little bit. Uh-huh. Yeah. The, you know, you mentioned the efficiency over obstacles in my, so plug my own book here, Mud Run Guides, Ultra OCR Bible. The, you know, when I talk about the differences between getting over obstacles in the strength and speeds of these guys to obstacle course racing. It's all about speed and how quickly can I get over this thing? And when I write for the, the ultra OCR Bible, it's all about efficiency, right? Because you're if you save two seconds on a wall, like who, who really cares when the race is 12 or 24 hours long, but if you save energy, right, then that can mean exactly. you can run, you know, 20 seconds faster per mile, maybe, you know, who, who knows? So the, um, and then on top of that, you know, with shorter courses, a little more high risk, high reward, right? So like, yeah, you know, I'm throwing myself off of walls. I'm jumping off of things, which is ultra OCR, you know, being a little more um, careful as I, I get down and off stuff. Cause you twist an ankle 10 miles into a 90 mile or hundred mile race, right? That's uh, it's going to slow you down a lot. Oh yeah. That's, I mean, that's definitely hundred percent agree with that. That's even going from the team races, like uh, Elliot and I set the two person uh, mileage record at the Chicago toughest and how I approached certain obstacles in that race is completely different compared to how I approach them at WTM. Um, 
you know, a simple wall, you know, you go to jump over a wall and you're trying to make it faster. You're like putting your abs down on it and flipping your legs over really quick. Well, if you do that for 24 straight hours, you're going to really bum up your core. And if your core is shot, guess what? Your running's going to be shot. Uh, doing any kind of like hanging obstacles is going to be shot. So I was fine doing that for like a 12 hour race. But as soon as I switched over to the 24 hour race, I'm crawling nice and easy over those walls. I'm not trying to flip or put my core onto anything. Um, so yeah, definitely changing your tactics. Yeah. And give, uh, give your teammate, your primary teammate. I know you've, you've been paired with a couple of people, but give your primary teammate, Elliot, a, a plug here. How did you, how did you find him and uh, link up with him <laughs> and decide to start racing together? Elliot and I were kind of like, we just jumped around each other without really knowing each other for a couple of years back when we both, kind of sucked at this um when we were first starting out like we ran without notice knowing it um like was it 20 was it 2015 chicago toughest back when it was like an eight hour race so we ran that together without knowing it we ran a couple other similar races without knowing it so we just constantly see each other on social media and then uh me being a traveling physical therapist i ended up uh in south lake tahoe he was living in reno at the time and we just messaged each other it's like hey why aren't we training together so we did a what was it 18 mile training run something like that together and that pretty much settled the deal as far as us being friends and then it was uh actually i think javier escobar the crazy man uh who just contacted you know the two of us and then christian was like hey let's team up let's see how this relay thing goes that's pretty much it from there. Right on. So that that was the, you mentioned all four of your teammates for what was it uh, Poconos, and then you yeah. te- teamed with Elliot, just Elliot for uh, Chicago. Chicago, and then back to all four of you for Seattle. Was that correct? correct? Okay. So why did you why did you guys decide to do two men for World Toughest instead of the four man? Oh well, that was uh, Javier and Christian were hundred percent dedicated to uh going solo and trying gotcha. to reach those 100 mile marks which they both did it's freaking awesome yeah um i kind of in the beginning of the year uh was talking to elliot and decided to go team i wasn't necessarily mentally in the right spot to try to you know push yourself as hard as you need to for a 24-hour race i just i didn't have that same drive i didn't have the same kick i knew i wasn't training and getting the mileage that i wanted to lead up to that so Elliot and I decided before we even did the first relay that we were going to team up and that first relay kind of getting that spark of competition back, put me mentally in the right spot. And it's been solid ever since. Gotcha. Good stuff. And then when you were, you know, setting goals, did you know, you know, if going for the 12 hour toughest goal and then on top of that, the 24 hour uh, mileage goal for the, the relay, did you know that going in? Like, all right, the, this event, we're going to go we're going to shoot for the record or were you like, all right, we're just going to do our best. We'll see what happens. And if, you know, we get the record grade or were you even tracking like what the record was stuff like kind of like, what was your thought process going in? Uh, we knew we had a shot at it, but we didn't know how close of a shot we had at them. Um, kind of based off of how we did in Poconos as a four man team, I mean, we were easily could have gotten 65 miles, but we stopped at, I believe 60 miles. Uh, and we stopped halfway through a lap because we knew he had the win. And that was with Elliot having some lingering effects from his rhabdo. So he was out for like half the race. So based on that and how we'd been running, we kind of knew he had a shot. We just didn't know if it was actually going to happen. So he just kind of went out, 
ran our hardest, aimed for it, but wasn't really expecting anything until, you know, four or five hours left in the race. It's like, holy crap, like we could actually do this. We need to start pushing hard. Good stuff. And before I, I'm going to sw- switch over and start talking about the Arrowhead. Before we get to that, though, we crossed paths, I believe, what was it, 2018 at Dirt Runner? Is that correct? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we did. <laughs> so I so I was there for the – I think I, that was the year I did the shorter version. So I did the – I think it was the six-hour uh, of Warrior Rush. And I think you did the 24-hour. But you had – I did. There wasn't that many people there, and you had such a good lead that I think you called it fairly early in the night. And was like, I think All right. I quit at like 13, 14 hours or something like that. And was like, yeah, no one's even going to get close. Yeah. It was, it was just thunderstorms like crazy. It was really wet and nasty in the morning. And as soon as the sun came out, it was so humid, especially going through that first field after that. Remember that? Yeah. All that first field was so humid. So the only couple of people who were really potentially going to push miles dropped out. So I think by the 12 hour mark, there was maybe four people running it, something (laughs) like that. Uh, So it was pretty set in stone. So for for those who have never been, you know, I think a lot of people, they they do world's toughest and that's it. That's like the only ultra OCR they, they ever do. Um, compare what it's like to run, you know, at one of these smaller venues, which dirt runners no longer operational. Um, they, they're that, that site is now closed. I think it's just a, a motocross area now. So they, they haven't been putting on obstacle course races. So just kind of for some of our listeners compare what like, you know, the compare and contrast in between like a world's toughest and a smaller 24 hour OCR type event. So I guess first thing is safety. Um, <laughs> <laughs> If you think that you're going to be having like medical tents and people there for you ready to, you know, save you if something goes wrong, you're out of your damn Nope. Uh, <laughs> it's a like wild west out the there. Morning. Oh man, you're four in the morning going through like this kind of sketchy area and you're completely alone mm-hmm. uh, and doing some kind of like, you know, backyard rigged obstacles. I remember there was one obstacle that it was like an over under and I was going under it. And it was kind of sketched out because this, I think this is my, that was my first or second 24 hour race. I don't remember if I did a WTM before that or not, but I was like lodged under this log. And all of a sudden there was a, some kind of bird. I think a fox was murdering a goose or something like that. This wild racket going on as I'm stuck under the log. And I was just freaking out. So yeah, safety is definitely not all the way there. I got to the start line after finishing the lap and the race director was passed out. It's like, all right, this is great. Um, But on the other side of it, the obstacles are some of the coolest things you'll ever see. So they don't, I don't think they have to worry about as much like Tough Mudder is a huge corporation. Their obstacles are all, you know, pretty similar. And even with this year in WTM, they'd switch things up a lot like a bit to make them a little bit more challenging, but nothing was absurd. Dirt Runner, you had some just wild rigged obstacles that were so cool. Um, Yeah, I really liked the obstacles. Obstacles were probably some of the best that I've ever done. And so Dirt dirt Runner, there wasn't anything super technical. Like I think there was, they had like one rig set up, if I remember for that race. but they had a couple of rigs. And, and then they, they had, had monkey bars. They but, had a monkey bar. There was a Z-wall. There was Z-wall, that's this right. thing where you like had to 
crawl under like or crawl under a net in water and then climb up this big cargo net and then jump off into the water. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like a walk the plank kind of deal. Um, they had the over unders. There's one section that was so loaded with obstacles. There's like over under and then uh, like tire flip, even though the tire was like 10 pounds. Uh, there, it was a really obstacle heavy, only one true rig, if I remember correctly. Yeah. It was one that was true rig. Yeah. Yeah, and that, One that field, field, which is like the second obstacle, but that I mean, it was we were very obstacle heavy. <laughs> that field we were talking about had like, you know, five different carries. They weren't very heavy. Again, not very heavy, but, you know, you do them once and you're like, oh, that's not so bad. And then the next time you're like, all right, now I, I can see how this could be tiring. And then it's just yeah, like. Yeah, it was like a concrete block carry and then you drag a tire and then you carry something else. It was just a, it was so frustrating. It, it wears you down because I remember being. I remember like my abs and stuff would start cramping and I was like, what is going on? Why am I so tired? And it was just like oh. a lot of walls and you end up using a lot more muscles than I think you realize. And uh, that, that center area you're talking about was just, I mean, it was back to back obstacles. There's like 30 obstacles oh, in that, like, you know, in that one quarter mile, half mile stretch, whatever it is. Oh, it's nuts. Yeah. They, some years. So th- th- I don't think it was, I don't think it was that event. They had um, some years they run that, that there's a net, in the water they used to you'd climb up the opposite side and you'd swing onto it like a like a buccaneer swing as they called it right so you're like it's this giant rope swing over water and then you you grab onto the net climb over the net and then fall into the water so yeah that's so cool so yeah obstacle like innovation and stuff was off the charts i love the obstacles there and that yeah you're you're right about the safety <laughs> i mean yeah you're, safety you're... wasn't wasn't great i mean but i'm I've been to a couple other like ultra events and talked to people at ultra events. I think that was more of like a one-off kind of thing. Um, yeah, I think it, other events are probably a little bit better. The, you know, you, you get more of, I, I say you get more of the ultra feel, right? Cause like if you do a normal running ultra, you spend a lot of time by yourself uh, versus mm-hmm. if you do a world stuff as mother, you're always seeing people. Uh, these smaller 24 hour races, you typically get that more ultra feel where like, you're by yourself in the woods. Like when I, when I did the shell hill, uh, shell hell race in uh, Vermont, like I went like an hour without seeing another human being while on the course. And yet again, you're doing some of these obstacles. There's no one anywhere around. You're like, well, better not fall. Cause I'm going to be here for a while. So part of the, part of the adventure, part of the excitement. Yeah. It was actually kind of, kind of similar in, uh, in Australia. I did the OCR WC yeah. Enduro. And there was sections in there where it was just like, you're not seeing anybody. And it definitely wasn't as regulated as what, uh, as what WTM is, as far as, you know, people always there, volunteers all over the place. If you need help, definitely wasn't as heavy, but not as alone as what the dirt runner was. Yeah, I agree with that. So I did, I did the Enduro the year before it was the OCR world championships. So it was 2017. Yeah. I think they still run that, don't they? They, they do. I know. Every now and then. They moved the date because of COVID in 2020. Um, I think, I can't remember where. I think they had it in, uh, I can't remember. They shifted the date that it wasn't in its normal time, like normally in June time frame, which is winter in Australia. Um, mm-hmm. So I can't remember what, when the actual date was. But Yeah, yeah that, was still, a, that was a fun one. True Grit's still running. And if anyone wants to go to Australia, make takes the big trip there. I know their their lockdown is super tight right now from talking to Deanna Blegg, uh, the producer owner of Blegg Mitts. But I, I know they're having a lot of restrictions. But the 
True Grid is still going on and they're still holding races. All right, let's start jumping into big goals for 2022. So we're kicking it off end of January. Tell us a little about the Arrowhead 200. Yeah, I probably should have corrected you earlier. It's Arrowhead 135. Well, Arrowhead so 135. Cut. I 135. ruined the podcast. Yeah, hold, we got to start over. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're just trying to make me run extra miles. I'm not ready for those. I'll stick with 135 for now. Yeah, well, um, you know, it's not that it's not that far. You know, 135 is like, yeah, I, maybe I wouldn't have had you on the podcast if I, if I knew you were only running 135. You know? Well, that's why I tricked you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so tell us about uh, 135, yeah. So, yeah. Arrowhead 135 is going to be absolutely miserable. So design of the race, uh, it's more expedition style. So if anybody knows anything about Minnesota and January to February time, it sucks. It's going to be, I think the low, the coldest temperature the race has ever reached was like negative 55 degrees. And in 20, I think it was 2019, the warmest it got during the race was like negative 34 <laughs> So it's going to be miserable cold. Uh, you have to carry all of your survival, winter survival gear with you. So I have like a negative 30 degree sleeping bag. I have a, a bivy, all my uh, different cooking stuff. I have to carry 5,000 calories on me at all time. It's going to be pretty wild. Uh, yeah. So in order to do this race, you typically, you need a qualifying race. So last year I did the drift 100. Uh, if anybody listens to a lot of OCR podcasts, you probably heard Aaron Newell's, um, review of that race, uh, back in, what did he, when did he do it? He did in like 2019, I think something like that, but absolutely brutal. Um, Christian Johnson, actually one of my teammates, he's coming up this weekend. He's driving up from Fresno now and we're going to be doing training stuff. So he's doing the drift 100 this year. And I'm training for the Arrowhead 135. Uh, I think there's four, no, one, two, three checkpoints. I probably should know this. Three or four checkpoints through 135 miles. You're dragging a sled through snow, unbelievable cold. Uh, I don't know what to expect. It's going to suck. Gotcha. So obviously you're carrying a lot more gear than a normal ultra. Um, So what are you doing specifically to prepare for it? The Drift 100 last year, I didn't really know what I was getting into. Um, I kind of talked to Aaron every now and then about, you know, what he did to prepare for it, and turns out he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he panicked registered for the race because other races, everything was getting canceled, and this race wasn't getting canceled. So he didn't really know what he was doing um, and just went off of his pure unbelievable fitness and was able to complete it. So after talking to him, he's like, yeah, I would have changed a lot of stuff if I actually knew what I was getting into. So uh, a lot of posterior chain work. So adding in a lot of like resisted, like back lunges, just to get the hamstrings activated a lot more, a lot more strength-based stuff. Definitely compared to last year's race, last year's race, I was like, oh, I'll run the whole thing. Stupid idea. Not going to happen. You're in snow. You're dragging like 30, 40 pounds behind you. Probably hopefully a little bit less than that. Um, so a lot of like resisted hiking, putting any kind of weight on my back, going uphill four or five hour hikes are scheduled for pretty much every single weekend up until the race at this point, <sighs> lots of gear maintenance, um, just understanding moisture management is a huge thing. Uh, if you get wet and it's negative 40 degrees, you're probably going to get hypothermia and frostbite yeah. and die. So, mm-hmm. you know, just working on the different uh, different layers 
and just practicing, practicing, practicing with understanding when to put what on, how long to do it. So you're doing gear checks and uh, changes pretty regularly throughout the race. Um, yeah. Is, is the course marked or are you orienteering or is it like, well, it's not marked, but I basically stay on this trail and, and I go straight um, for the next 60 miles. It's kind of ish marked. So it's, it goes across a, a snowmobile trail. So you have the Arrowhead Trail in northern Minnesota. Um, and it follows that the whole time. So it is a, you know, it is a snowmobile trail, but it's a huge snowmobile trail. And you don't know if snowmobiles have regularly been on it. Mm. Uh, the race typically is going to take snowmobilers and they'll be going up and down, you know, making sure no one's died on the trail. Um, but you know, you'll go, I think during the drift, I went five, four or five hours without seeing any other sign of a human. And I didn't even know if I was on the right trail. It's like, I think that's a trail. We're going that way. Luckily I was right. Um, arrowheads a lot longer, less people, shittier all around so yeah. i'm expecting to have some point where you know i'm gonna be five six hours of not seeing anybody just hoping i'm on the right trail i do have you know gps they require you to have a spot spot or a in reach device so i have the in reach and i'll be you know able to check gps to make sure i'm on the right spot but at the same time that kind of cold weather those become less and less reliable uh so we'll, we'll see. Not too much orienteering, Got but it. I'll probably have to learn that pretty soon if I'm going to keep on pushing towards these winter ultras. Um, it just gets worse as you get deeper into that sport. And so you mentioned carrying a lot of your own gear. So are there aid stations along the way? or? Yeah, I think there's one, two, three aid stations, one with warm food on okay, it. Gotcha. Um, and... It, you're not allowed to really dry into your gear there. You're allowed to go inside, get warm for a little bit. There's some like bars along the way that apparently I'm allowed to stop at the bars and buy food locally if I want to, which would be pretty cool. Um, you're just not allowed to take your gear inside. You're not allowed to dr try to dry into your gear inside. Interesting. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm still kind of picking up on the rules and it seems like it's constantly changing. Like some of the rules that they had, in the past um, definitely changed uh, because of COVID. So like sleeping in any of the aid stations, sounds like they're extremely discouraging uh, that now. So if you mm -hmm. wanna sleep, you can't do it in the warm aid station. You have to do it outside on the ground uh, in negative 40 degree weather. So, so changes things a little bit. What do you think, because I'm gonna, we're, we're gonna ask you this after you, you do the event, uh, regardless of how it goes. Um, <laughs> which will which will be successful i'm i'm i'm, I'm, banking, I'm hoping so i'm banking out of being successful but what do you think is going to be the hardest part is it you know you think it's going to be just being in the cold or being alone or you know the distance or um just the overall fatigue like what do you what do you think is going to be the most challenging thing um probably a mix between the cold and the fatigue and alone so all <laughs> of it the whole thing's gonna suck yeah yeah so I think the, the big thing is because you're having so much more strength-based hiking and you're not really able to run, the miles go by super, super slow. Yeah. So cut off for the race is 60 hours. I'm happy as long as I finish the darn race in 60 hours. I'm not looking to place or anything like that. Just finish. But 
you know, once you're a hundred miles in, like same thing happens like, at the drift last year, you know, I'm 98 miles in, it's a 101 mile race. And those last couple miles, like you're going like 22 minute miles, just trying to hike and push forward. Your feet hurt, you're cold. Um, so I think mentally is a big thing, but no, if you can mentally survive going 60 hours, that makes the world's toughest WTM um, 24 hours not seem as scary. So we'll, absolutely, uh, see how that translates in the future. So the 2018 when I did uh, uh, endure the gauntlet, the 48 hour multi lap. When I yeah. did world's toughest that year, I was like, I was like, we're 20 hours in already. This is easy. So that was the year I ran with Wesley Kerr, my teammate, and he's like, yeah, yeah. I don't really agree with that statement. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> just me then but yeah it, it like it resets you know it resets your baseline of what you think is normal and what you think is possible and kind of like your furthest um the, the you know the longest distance you've done suddenly makes any any race that's shorter than it seems shorter right so like you know five miles and 10 miles now seem really short compared to 12 hour and 24 so you know it, it's, oh, yeah. it's all scalable right so you know if, if you if you only do 5ks and then you suddenly run a half marathon. When you go back to running five Ks, you'll be like, damn, this is like nothing. Yeah. So it's like Trevor, Trevor taking on the, what is it? The race against great across great Britain. Was that 200 miles? Him doing yeah. that. And then him doing like Everest 135. Then he comes to this 24 hour race and he's like, oh yeah, I just keep a cruiser pace and it's all good. Like, you right. Son of a bitch. I love you, but screw you. <laughs> so when he, when he showed up this year, he's like, yeah, I haven't, I haven't really trained. And I'm like, you see, you say that. I was like, but normally you come in overtrained. I was like, so I bet you you do just as well. And he PR'd his mileage, right? He got one ten. So yeah, um, he just did unbelievable again. Yeah, the crazy dude. Absolutely. All right, uh, let's real quick talk a couple of gear choices. Any, um, you know, what are you using primarily for fuel, and you know, what are you gonna be wearing on your feet? What's your what's your go to for this extreme endurance trek? Uh, feet. I'll be taking. Oh man, I'm kind of trying to decide between three pairs of shoes. I might end up wearing the same pairs I pair of shoes that I wore for WTM, which was the uh, was it Solomon Sense Ride Four? I think it is now. So I mean that shoe's pretty great, and uh, I love how the the lace system works in there. I know I can change my lace system up between shoes, but uh, an issue that you end up having when it gets that cold, if you want to change shoes, cause I'll bring at least two pairs in the race. If the laces get frozen, you're screwed. Like good luck getting out of the shoes and good luck. You know, if you put them in your, uh, pulk that you're dragging behind you and try to switch back, it's all frozen. So I'll probably either go with the Salomon sense rides or maybe the, the VJ, uh, zeros. So they're studded. They have a little bit of uh, protection in the toe box. But honestly, the studs don't really help when you're in that deep of snow. So I'm kind of drifting no. farther away from those. Uh, I also have another pair of the Salomons that are, geez, what are they? Speed Cross. So a Salomon Speed Cross, but it's their winter version. So it has like this, uh, this actual hood over it that protects the foot um, and zips up. So you can't get anything in the toe box. So that's pretty sweet as far as when things get really cold. But the problem with that is it's not breathable. So if you all of a sudden zip up your hood and your foot is completely uh, protected, then you're not getting that breathability. So any kind of moisture that you're developing just from sweat has the option to just freeze there. And if it freezes there, goodbye toes. 
Mm. So kind of working on that. As far as socks, always go with a darn tough. You got to love the darn tough socks. And I'll probably bring like seven or eight pairs of them to the race just to constantly switch out. Um, I should send you a picture of my foot after the drift. It was the most disgusting thing. I've had foot issues ever since that race, as far as like just weird, nasty pinning stuff on the bottom of my foot. Uh, so I definitely ended up with trench foot after the drift um, from just changing socks twice. I should have changed like five times. Uh, so yeah, so we'll, we'll, include, we'll include that pick in the, um, in the podcast uh, Facebook oh, yeah, announcement. So we'll, we'll, we'll put it all the way at the end. So if you don't want to see it, don't scroll to the last picture. But, <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll start selling beat picks now. We'll make all <laughs> that OnlyFans money. Yeah, yeah. That'll cut down on some of the race costs. Not a bad. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's as far as shoe choice. Um, as far as um, man, what do I go up? As far as like uh, pants, uh, I'm probably gonna go with. I have a craft. Uh, craft sportswear they make amazing stuff as far as any kind of winter gear so i have some uh thermal tights from them i'll probably wear those and then i have a, a i don't know how to pronounce it a Terex. um yeah, Arteryx, have some of, yeah Arteryx. Arteryx, yeah so i have some of their more windproof uh, weather pants that are zip up all the way from the ankle to the hip so if i'm looking to you know vent while i'm wearing those i can just unzip it get some ventilation top uh have some north face tons and tons of stuff on the top uh anywhere from like some uh merrill fleece line stuff to north face puffy uh i don't know how to pronounce that name i have a bunch of puffies like seven different layers that i'll probably bring with just to constantly be switching in and out depending on how cold it is uh and how much i'm sweating versus trying to not die gotcha and are you allowed to have pacers at any point during this or no, no pacers. Interesting. No pacers. Uh, and then you, what do you ask? You ask nutrition. As far yeah, as nutrition. nutrition, that's rough for me. So any of the summer races and like the WTM stuff, I use a company called Noka. Um, if they would sponsor me, that'd be awesome because I'm getting broke from buying all their crap. Uh, but it's like baby food pouches that I'm, it's like real food, fruits, vegetables, sweet potatoes, uh, that, it's pretty dense as far as the calorie intake. I love that for any of the uh, any of the races that I'm running, especially when we're doing the lap style like WTM, because you just grab it, squeeze it, go. Mm. But any of that stuff, anything liquid, it's freezing. Goodbye, gone. So I tried to bring those on the drift, and they were rock solid. And I think I got to eat one of them, and everything else got thrown away. There's, ah. there's no getting any of that out. Even a lot of the gels, like uh, any of the honey stinger gels. That honey just gets so unbelievably thick that it's like you're ripping the pack, like trying to bite the gel and rip it into your teeth. You're ripping the pack before you're getting all that honey out. It's just super difficult with that. Any cliff bars are turning into rocks. So I'm kind of playing with a little bit of stuff. I've been uh, talking back and forth with Anthony Kunkel uh, as far as some of the nutrition options we have have for that um see if we can figure something out cool yeah sounds like uh sounds like it's gonna be quite an experience so i'm really looking forward <laughs> to seeing uh to talking to you after the event and seeing how it goes and uh you know when, when we bring you on the second time we can ask about some of your other plans and uh, based off how you're feeling 
you know, what your rest of your 2022 will look like. It's, do you have any other races lined up after that? Or is it right now you're just like, let me just get through this and then we'll. That's, yeah, that's the only one lined up as of now. Um, there's some other races that I'd still have uh, registration for that have rolled over all the way since like 2019 because of the pandemic. Actually, that'd be 2020 because of the pandemic. Um, if I do those or not, who knows? But those are other like 100 mile races. Uh, don't know if I'm going to do those. Don't know what my toughest plans are the only other race that i know i'm doing in 2022 is wtm yep do you plan on defending your title with uh, elliot nope Ooh, spicy nope. it's it's done um you know we uh we we hit that i have that checked off my bucket list you know um no one can take that victory away from us as someone who hauls ass like crazy might have a chance to take the record from us uh, but yeah, no, I think that's kind of a checked off thing. All right. So Elliot's still looking. So shout out for Elliot. Elliot's still looking for a teammate for repeating, um, WTM team relay. Uh, he'll be relaying all year because he's going for the Tahoe 200 or not just the Tahoe 200. He's doing all the 200s. He's going for the triple crown of 200s. So he's going to be we'll sticking to with the on too. We'll have to bring yeah. Elliot on. Hey, we'll, we'll let Elliot get through one or two of them, and then we'll grab him and bring him on um, and see how, see how he's feeling. <laughs> as long as he doesn't end up with a rhabdo and a fractured foot and everything. I mean, yeah. holy crap, that dude. Like, he got his ass handed to him in, uh, in 2021 with their rhabdo and then the fractured foot and everything he was dealing with, and he still threw down. So, yeah, super proud of him for that. And if he you know, can manage to stay healthy – He's going to be super fun to watch through the 200s and I'll be yeah. pacing him through. I think it's the Tahoe. I agreed that I'm going to pace him through uh, like 40, 50 miles of Tahoe 200. Nice. Nice. Good stuff. All right. Well, we're going to start wrapping things up then. Um, before sweet. we get going. Whoa, you got something else? Nope. Or, I said sweet. Oh, gotcha. Before we get going, uh, we like to ask people, tell us something people would be surprised to know about you. So less having to do with fitness, the better. The more random, um, the, typically the better. So, uh, oh, geez. What do you got? Oh, man. More <laughs> random. Does it have to race related or not race no, related? No, like uh, when we had Matt Hansen on, he, he told us about his enormous Pokemon card collection, which as a, okay. as a grown man <laughs> who runs ultras and does CrossFit, I was very surprised by. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Something random about me? I feel like everything things random about me i don't do any normal stuff i mean i think anybody who knows anything about me is like i'm a traveling physical therapist i travel the country like i live in one spot for like three months and i move i mean that's not too random i i'm gonna stick with the race related one Let, let's really kick this one off with a bang so okay. something that only a few people know it is race related it is winter ultra related and it's probably my lowest moment ever um yeah, so 70 miles into the Drift 100 last year, I had to poop really bad. And these races, they're all on packed snowmobile trails. So if you get off that trail, it's not packed. And we're talking like 12 feet of snow. Like, it's nuts out in Wyoming. I'm not going to go and, like, you know, poop in the middle of the trail. There's people behind me. Like, that's not going to happen. So I decided to go off trail go off trail, do my business. And I'm like, okay, that worked out 
I'm happy. We can get back to running. As soon as I tried to take another step forward after doing my dookie business, I post hold about waist deep nice. directly into my own shit. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh. So now everybody in the world can know that for the last 30 miles of my drift 100 finish, I was covered in my own feces. Mm. Mentally, <laughs> I was not happy. I was not happy at all. It was probably the lowest I've ever been. So I threw away a lot of gear, had to re replenish a lot of gear. Uh, I guess we'll send it off with that. Okay. So I, I try to match something similar um, on stories. I've never, I typically, I, I don't have to, I don't have to take a crap at any point during the race during, I think I told this story already. So I'm going to gloss over it real quick during the first toughest mudder, the eight hour one, um, I ate too close to when we normally do the start. And uh, the last lap, I absolutely almost like crap my pants. Like the, I knew there was a porta potty within a mile. So I made it to the porta potty, just like exploded and then jumped in Arctic Animal and kept running um, mm -hmm. afterwards. But so I'll go jump back. I'll tell a military story real quick. So when you go to ranger school, you set up this perimeter, right? And you're not allowed to um, leave the perimeter. Everything has to be done in, within the perimeter of, of the personnel. So actually two stories from this. So one, the, the, uh, the place you poop is in the middle of the base. So you're trying to give like mission briefs and there's literally someone pooping like within arm's reach of you. Like, like you're being <laughs> graded for this like very important part of your career. And like I can I can reach over and literally touch some dude's ass that's hanging out. So that's just a very odd experience. You you can or you did? That's no, important. you can. I, I okay. you don't. But you didn't. Yeah, I did not. Um, okay, all right. But important so the, details. The the other the other part of that is during one of our patrols, uh, the the instructors come back in the morning and there there's a piece of uh, someone took a deuce outside of the perimeter, not inside the perimeter in the in the designated hole. And the instructors were so pissed and they, they're like, all right. So they made us expand the perimeter. So the piece of shit was in our perimeter. And then they made someone uh, put it in a Ziploc bag and I think carry it uh, until we got to the, the next mission site, which is, you know, like 12 hours of like having someone having a, someone's poop in their bag. Um, it was great. double Ziploc, but yeah, fun stories. All right. We're going to get going. Before we go, any uh, shout-outs you want to give, friends, family, sponsors, whatever? Yeah, no sponsors. I'm not that cool yet, hopefully. Like I said, hey, Noka, start sponsoring me because you know, I'm going broke buying all your stuff. You just got to start harassing um, people. Just start sending emails. Yeah. It's like the dating yeah. game. You just keep, you keep <laughs> asking people if someone's going to say yes. Uh, my two, I guess my I, I have to shout-out to uh, – Christian Brown Johnson, the man, he's heading over right now. He's probably about 20 minutes from getting to the house. And uh, we're going to be playing in the snow all weekend, you know, getting prepped for some of these winter races, him taking on his first one at Drift, uh, me heading to Arrowhead. And it's going to be a cold one. We have the ice bath set up right now. So that's probably the first thing we're going to do is jump in there as soon as he gets here. That sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. All right, uh, for our listeners, head over to TeamStrengthSpeed.com. We have the 2022 Strength to Seed Development Team is now open, so if anyone wants to apply for that, you get into our private Facebook group, and then I send you some free stuff from Strength and Speed, and you get access to a bunch of uh, personal trainers, physical therapists, dietitians, et cetera, 
uh, kind of athletes in that group to help answer your questions. So instead of asking random Facebook groups where you got a mix of answers, uh, you're all be in our private group where you essentially have professionals answering uh, a lot of your questions. And you, you know, we try to keep each other motivated and post race results and stuff like that. So good group of guys and girls. And we uh, purposely keep it small. So you can either apply and get in that way, or if you want to, there's a pay for option um, that is available basically at any other point during the year, except for December, January. Um, so you head over and do that. If anyone's interested in becoming a part of strength and speed. And then on top of that, all my books are available on uh, strength and speed website. And I've started writing for two more OCR companies. So OCR buddy, like I mentioned in the intro, I've got an article about rugged maniac X up on there and a review of play out the game up on there. And I got some other reviews publishing on there too, including, I think a spotlight on modus ninjas gym. Now, if you're from the Kansas city area, modus ninjas, the awesome OCR gym slash ninja gym there where the ah, Donovan, the classy ninja Matoyer trains at in Eastern Kansas city, just bought apex climbing gym. So they are now going to have a second location on the West side of Kansas city. Uh, I did my OCR mill 21,000 feet charity event in the east one of modus ninjas and then i have two articles that are now up on the ocr report go ahead and check those out one of them is what happens to your body physically after 24 hours of ocr and what happens to your your body mentally after 24 hours of ocr so use a lot of my personal experience and some of my friends personal experience kind of give you a rundown basically it's broken down by time periods right so it has a paragraph for the first hour paragraph for the first night a paragraph for the first week and a paragraph for the first month uh, post 24 hour ultra OCR, you know, kind of what's going through, what's happening to your body and how you're typically reacting. Cause um, like we've talked about it in this podcast, I've done world stuff as mother, but then I've also done um, shell hell and uh, dirt runner and true good enduro and some of the other ones. So, you know, I've got to gotten to see a good mix of, you know, what seems to be consistent themes and what is a little more event specific. All right, Jake, good talking to you. And thanks again for coming on. Looking forward to bring you on again after the arrowhead. Uh, so, um, if you're listening to this and it is past February, 2022, go back and listen to Jake's second episode so you can see how it actually went and how things played out. All right. We're going to take off. We'll catch you later. Say bye, Jake. Oh, see you guys. (laughs) 